make sure you understand this. There ain't going to be no bipartisan bill unless we are going to have the reconciliation bill. Good. I understand that. That a girl, Pelosi. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, hello. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99 and a half in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans, on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. Your mileage may vary from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Pretty much nothing but breaking news today. Just trying to keep up with it all. Yeah. uh, As we uh, go to air here. And even as, yes, the jackhammers, which we thought were over uh, outside of our studio, Turns out they aren't. That continues suddenly again today. So we're trying to record around that as well. Apologies for any noise or disjointed coverage that may occur because all of this isn't hard enough to keep track of uh, already, I guess. We are still doing jackhammer dances. So (laughs) I'm going to just jump in right here uh, at uh, where we are today and we will... See where we end up, but we start with some uh, pretty bleak news here. A wing of a 12-story beachfront condo building collapsed with a roar in a town outside of Miami early on Thursday, killing at least one person as of airtime today, trapping uh, residents in rubble and twisted metal. CNN reports there could be as many as 99 uh, trapped right now under the rubble or at least unaccounted for. Rescuers pulled out dozens of survivors and they continue to look for more. The mayor of Surfside, Florida, near Miami, uh, Charles Burkett, warned that the death toll was likely to rise, saying the building manager told him the tower was quite full at the time of the collapse around 1.30 a.m. When people were asleep. Yep. And the exact number of people uh, present remains unclear. The building is literally pancaked 
Burkett, uh, Mayor Burkett said hours after the collapse, searchers were still trying to reach a trapped child whose parents were believed to be dead. In another case, rescuers saved a mother and a child, but the woman's leg had to be amputated to remove her from the rubble. Director of uh, Miami-Dade uh, Emergency Management uh, told uh, gave that information to the Miami Herald. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis toured the scene, uh, said that the uh, TV pictures did not adequately capture the scale of what had happened there. Rescue crews, he said, are doing everything they can to save lives. That is ongoing. They're not going to rest, he vowed. Authorities did not say what may have caused the collapse. On video footage captured from nearby, the center of the building appeared to fall first, with the section nearest the ocean then teetering and coming down seconds later as a huge dust cloud swallowed the entire neighborhood. Miami-Dade County uh, Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava said she got a call from President Joe Biden offering federal aid. Rescuers pulled at least 35 people from the wreckage by mid-morning. Heavy equipment was being brought in to help stabilize the structure to give uh, rescuers more access. Uh, 99 people, as I said, who were thought to be in the building at the time of the collapse were unaccounted for as of airtime. So, yes, the death toll is likely to get much higher that said, the tower has a mix of uh, seasonal and year-round residents, so some may not have been in the building at the time. Uh, and the uh, building keeps a log of guests, but it does not track when owners are in residence, according to the mayor. So right now, that's one of the reasons why these numbers have been so fluid. Of course, for a building to sort of you know collapse out of nowhere here, given where it is situated... Uh, near the ocean, in an area of Florida where sunny day flooding due to climate change-induced sea rise has become a fairly regular occurrence, the first thing that occurred to me, at least, was, is this somehow related? Uh, Desi Doyen, I don't know if you've had uh, time with everything going on, but have you been able to determine uh, anything on that front? Has this, has this uh, topic come up for discussion right now among the climate folks that you follow? Um, it has not come up for discussion as far as I have seen so far. But, you know, you do bring up a good point that perhaps sunny day flooding could have done some kind of undermining of the foundation of the building. But really, we have no idea right now what happened to the building and why it collapsed. It looks like the, uh, the the federal building that collapsed in the Oklahoma City bombing. I mean, it's mm. that kind of extreme destruction where the floors that were 10 feet have collapsed down to just mere feet in that pancake yeah. uh, collapse that the officials described. So. Though, to be clear, there was not an explosion like no, the Oklahoma no federal building that we know of. Um, and uh, But yeah, I am, I, I am worried. This is a the building has been up for several decades i think it was built in the 80s and There's for, no it reason for it to suddenly have yeah. lose its footing and just fall apart like that uh that as governor uh, desantis by the way continues to push for new high-rise towers in the same area sort of racing the climate change clock to get these things built before folks realize that they're going to have to retreat from many of these coastal areas uh, as uh, climate uh, change persists. Anyway, more on the causes for all of these concerns that we're talking about here. Uh, much more, in fact, coming up in our Green News report later this hour. 
with, I'm sorry to say, many related dire and rather grim warnings in truth uh, in today's report. Uh, Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., there is also a whole lot going on all at the same time. And yes, some of it having to do with, in fact, shoring up our nation's crumbling infrastructure to hopefully harden it in order to withstand the increasing and multiple threats of climate change. President Joe Biden announced on Thursday that he had agreed to a deal on infrastructure with a bipartisan group of senators after White House officials and the senators had a reportedly massive breakthrough the night before in their infrastructure negotiations. Both Republicans and Democratic senators said uh, Wednesday evening that there was an agreement reached with the White House uh, with White House officials and 10 senators on a bipartisan infrastructure deal. And on Thursday afternoon, Joe Biden said he had, in fact, signed off on the agreement, saying we have a deal. We had a uh, really good meeting and answer your direct question. We have a deal. And uh, I think it's really important. We've all agreed that. Uh, None of us got what we all that we wanted. I clearly didn't get all I wanted. They gave more than I think maybe they were inclined to give in the first place. We made serious compromises on both ends. Uh, there is, uh, and they'll they'll give you the numbers. But they did not, and I understand their position. Republicans and this group did not want to go along with many of my family plan issues, the child care tax credits, the human infrastructure that I talk about. And uh, that we'll see what happens in a reconciliation bill in the budget process. So, uh, yeah, we will get to that reconciliation bill in the budget process in a moment. Uh, Hurdles do remain. It is unclear if the proposal will even have enough support from GOP senators uh, or from progressive lawmakers at this hour to... uh, to uh, pass into law. The announcement, uh, the, the announced agreement, however, is a big development that could pave the way for passage of at least a chunk of Biden's domestic agenda, if not all of it. Uh, as you heard there, the president said bipartisan uh, bipartisan deal means compromise. Uh, though, as uh, CNN reports, the White House officials are keenly aware that they have a long road ahead in order to lock in support for even this agreement. Yeah, it's better to think of this agreement as a framework, a framework that they're going to use to develop the legislation that will need to be created. They are confident uh, nonetheless. They seem confident in any case that they will get there. Uh, Biden said that Republicans and the bipartisan group of senators Uh, as you heard, did not support the issues outlined in his American Families Plan. That calls for an additional $1.8 trillion of federal spending on human infrastructure like education and child care and other uh, uh, priorities along those lines. Uh, The Families Plan is the second part of the president's proposal after his American Jobs Plan on uh, mostly hard infrastructure like roads, bridges, upgrades to the electrical grid to accommodate an electric vehicle charging network, the replacement of lead water pipes and the expansion of broadband Internet access across the country, all of which is meant to revitalize the nation and ensure a more equitable recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. It is that American Jobs Plan uh, originally proposed at something like uh, 2.25 trillion, 
that this that this uh, bipartisan group of senators has been working on and coming to an agreement somewhere around one trillion, so half the size of what Biden had initially proposed. But also remember that this only has about five hundred eighty billion in new spending. Biden had asked for one trillion and uh, mm-hmm. more than one trillion in new spending. Mm-hmm. So when it they give the numbers on this, remember it's only five hundred eighty billion mm-hmm. new spending. And well, what this also means is that whatever does not get into this bipartisan package, you heard the president refer there to the reconciliation bill, the budget process to see if we can get. He said some compromise there. If we can't, we'll see if I can attract all the Democrats to a position. Uh, that is there, but we're going to move on this dual track. So this dual track, what this means, in addition to the bipartisan compromise package on the hard infrastructure stuff like roads and bridges, the Democrats at the same time are working on a separate package, another package that will most likely uh, have to move through the budget reconciliation process, which requires only a simple majority vote. That does not have to overcome a 60-vote filibuster threshold in the U.S. Senate. Passage uh, of, frankly, of either of those measures, the bipartisan uh, smaller infrastructure package uh, or the uh, the uh, Uh, a budget reconciliation package for the human infrastructure portion, either of them, if they were passed, would be a huge accomplishment for the administration. Passage of both of them would be remarkable. But that is where the administration and the Democrats say they are heading. Uh, A lot of work remains on the policy and the drafting side of the proposal, uh, reportedly. But Biden and his team are growing increasingly bullish on the pathway for the bipartisan agreement and for that second portion of the uh, president's full what it would amount to is four trillion dollar economic agenda. Both of those packages combined. The uh, total cost of the compromise plan, uh, as Desi says, $1.2 trillion over eight years. Sounds like a lot of money, but it's over eight years. So divide it. Yeah. And remember, uh, the GOP gave away $2.7 trillion over 10 years in their tax cuts. So it's really not that much money. This proposal is significantly less than what he had initially proposed. Uh, But after the late night meeting on Wednesday with the White House officials, Democratic leaders said they plan to move forward with a much larger Democratic only approach to dramatically expand the social safety plan in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure plan. So in theory, whatever the Republicans do not agree to in the bipartisan plan for the American jobs plan, That can be moved over and included in the second part of the package to be passed with a simple majority, a simple majority vote in the U.S. Senate through the budget reconciliation process. If and it has always been a big if, if all of the Democrats in the Senate play along because they would have to. All 50 would have to be on board to get a majority vote with the tie broken then by the uh, vice president, Kamala Harris, as president of the Senate. Well, that would be a huge accomplishment. So this will be very interesting to watch in the days ahead uh, to see if the administration and the Democrats can avoid all of the mines that are being placed into the minefield that you can bet the GOP will be laying out for them all over the place However they can, including the possibility of 
pulling their support for the bipartisan package at any time. It would hardly be the first time that Republicans have done that. And if you need a reminder of that, well, Nancy Pelosi uh, provided at least two points on this issue that make that uh, give us that reminder today uh, in some more uh, breaking D.C. news. First, she said she would not pass the bipartisan proposal in the House until both of the packages, both the uh, bipartisan proposal and the reconciliation package until both of those are are passed in the U.S. Senate. Speaking at her weekly press conference on Thursday, here's what she had to say. So let me be really clear on this. We will not take up a bill in the House until the Senate passes the bipartisan bill and and a reconciliation bill. If there is no, no... bipartisan bill, then we'll just go when the Senate passes a reconciliation bill. But um, I'm hopeful that we would have the bipartisan bill. But uh, make sure you understand this. When people say, well, I'm not going to vote for this unless I see that, there ain't going to be no bipartisan bill unless we are going to have the reconciliation bill. Good for her. Yeah, she's trying to avoid the Republicans' typical Lucy with the football scenario exactly. where they whittle it down and whittle it down. Yeah, we'll support it. We'll support it. But until it comes up for a vote and then they pull their support and right. the House is left holding the bag. Right. And unless, you know, and, and this is also true for Democratic senators, they may get that uh, bipartisan bill passed and then just sort of run out of steam for the human infrastructure side of the of the package. She's saying, no, nothing is coming before the House until the Senate has done both bills. Good for her. And then there was this reminder of the bad faith negotiations by Republicans just within the past few weeks, uh, for, in case any additional reminder was needed. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced Thursday there will be a new House committee dedicated to the investigation of the deadly Donald Trump-incited January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol after Senate Republicans in May used the filibuster to block the creation of an evenly split bipartisan independent commission to probe the assault. That independent commission would have been given balanced subpoena powers to both parties as negotiated in the House on behalf of Republicans with the approval of Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. It was negotiated uh, by GOP Congressman John Katko of New York, along with the Democratic Homeland Security Committee Chair Benny Thompson of Mississippi. They struck an agreement for how this uh, independent commission would work, this bipartisan independent commission. But despite that agreement that was struck between both parties in the House, Uh, Both Minority Leader, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell turned against the deal after it was struck, with Republicans then putting the nail in the coffin of a bipartisan committee, independent commission, uh, with the use of uh, the GOP filibuster in the Senate. So just a word of caution about agreeing to bipartisan compromises with this party that is no longer capable of working in good faith on anything. Speaking at a news conference on Thursday, 
Pelosi declined to spell out a timeline for the new panel. She is standing up now on her own to investigate uh, the January 6th attack, saying it will be, quote, as long as it takes. She gave no details of the makeup of the panel, but made clear that both parties would be expected to name members, saying she hoped that uh, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy will appoint, quote, responsible people to the panel. Well, I can't imagine that he wouldn't do that. Many questions regarding the circumstances of this assault on our democracy and the response to it remain. It is imperative that we seek the truth as to what happened. To do that, we believe that a bipartisan commission would be the best way to proceed in the spirit of patriotism and bipartisanship and to establish an independent 9-11 type commission. Unfortunately, Despite the expressed support of seven GOP senators, Mitch McConnell asked Republican senators to do him a personal favor and vote against the commission. I'm hopeful that that could still happen at some point. However, this morning, with great solemnity and sadness, uh, I'm announcing that the House will be establishing a select committee on the January 6th insurrection. Again, January 6th, was one of the darkest days in our nation's history. I've said it now three times. It is imperative that we establish the truth of that day and ensure that an attack of that kind cannot happen and that we root out the causes of it all. The Select Committee will investigate and report on the facts and the causes of the attack, and it will make report recommendations uh, for the prevention of any future attack. Of course, uh, you know, as we've been covering for weeks now, uh, the reason that uh, initial agreement was scotched was because the Republicans used the filibuster uh, to do exactly that after they had already agreed they would, uh, you know, in the House that they would. Uh, have this bipartisan commission. But the GOP's weaponized use of the filibuster in the Senate continues to be a concern on every front when it comes to the Democrats' agenda that they are racing to accomplish before potentially losing their majority control of one or both houses in next year's uh, 2022 midterms, where landmines are definitely being set by Republicans with state lawmakers, GOP lawmakers around the country, adopting voter suppression bills and provisions to overturn election results for virtually any reason that they like at the state level. Uh, that was made uh, clear again this week when Democrats finally working in unison after West Virginia's Joe Manchin decided to come on board with the Democrats' sweeping elections, voting rights, and campaign finance reform bill called the For the People Act. He came on board only to see Republicans, of course, as expected, filibuster any debate about voting rights whatsoever in the U.S. Senate on Tuesday night. Uh, I've noted that uh, Democratic Senator, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had stated confidently and repeatedly earlier in the year months ago that, quote, failure is not an option. When it comes to passage of the Democrats' massive voting rights and election and campaign reform bill, uh, where he got that idea back then, I do not know. But he was very clear at the time. He said it over and over again. And as far as anyone can tell, the only way to do that would be to do away with the filibuster, at least when it comes to issues regarding democracy which, frankly, would be a great idea. Even better would be doing away with it on everything because the Jim Crow-era relic 
Senate rule allows the minority to rule rather than the majority, which in this case represents a vast majority of the American people. I noted uh, yesterday that Ari Berman has been reporting that Democratic senators uh, represent the 50 Democratic senators represent 43 million more Americans than the 50 Republican senators uh, in the in the Senate. And uh, yet those uh, Republican senators are able to block a bill that is supported for the People Act by 68 percent of the public, Democrats and Republicans alike. And yet, despite all of that, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, the Arizona Democrat, are still on record opposing reform to the filibuster to get this popular bill passed. Um. So it was a a victory that all 50 Democrats came on board for the For the People Act earlier uh, this week after Joe Manchin just a few weeks ago said he would not support it. But after that, you can say you support it. But if you're not willing to do what it takes to get it passed, well, then we have a problem. And yes, Democrats have a problem. Nonetheless, uh, both Schumer and Pelosi and Biden all say that uh, they are that this fight is far from over. They will not be deterred. They are going to be ramping up their efforts to uh, to overcome this somehow. Nobody actually seems to know what they mean by that, other than pressuring Manchin and 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 Cinema to modify their positions against the against reforming the filibuster. But on Wednesday night, there was some encouraging news. Uh, this is uh, the the release of audio that was obtained by journalists from a private conference call featuring three moderate, moderate Senate Democrats, Nevada's Catherine Cortez Masto, Colorado's Michael Bennett, and Arizona's Mark Kelly. He's the junior senator from Arizona, as opposed to the senior senator, Kirsten Sinema, who opposes changes to the filibuster for a series of incoherent, ridiculous reasons. Nonetheless, all three of these moderate Democrats on the call indicated that the filibuster has to be reformed and suggested there was, in fact, movement to make that happen somehow. Here's Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona backing filibuster reform uh, for the first time, saying we're not going to keep doing the same thing and get a different result, and that he wants to see a change in the rules. What can we do to get the filibuster set aside? Because there's, there is no functional majority unless it is set aside. Yeah, um, certainly we need a change. Uh, we're we're not we're not going to keep doing the same thing and get a different result, right? I mean, that's uh, we see that in a lot of areas. That's not going to happen here. And this, uh, the United States Senate is just by design. It is incredibly difficult to get legislation passed. I will say there's no state legislature that works this way. There's no other democracy, as far as I know, that works the way the United States Senate does. Uh, so structurally, it's got major, it's got major issues. Um, I would like to see us, you know, change the rules. I used to have a, a former commanding officer of mine, a guy named Terry Toms, who's from Iowa. He was a very practical guy, and he would say, "If you're not changing it, it's getting worse." Department of Defense, NASA, all these other government agencies are constantly looking for process improvement. How do you improve the processes to make whatever operation more efficient? Uh, We're looking at ways to do that now. There are other discussions going on 
um, about how do we, you know, modify the rules to make the place more functional. I can't really speak for, you know, Senator Cinema um, and, and Senator Manchin. And, um, and I know you're asking specifically, what am I going to do? Um, I continue to work with my Democratic colleagues. Uh, Michael and I were speaking about this just today about, you know, what are our options? How can we make this place run better? And I imagine that the, the three of us will continue to have conversations uh, and not only with the Democrats, but, but with the Republicans as well. Yeah, well, good luck with that part, uh, <laughs> yeah. Senator uh, Kelly. That was Senator Mark Kelly uh, of Arizona. Uh, first time coming out saying, yeah, we need to do something. We need to make some changes here. Uh, if he's able to do that in uh, in Arizona, and I believe he's up for election, re-election before uh, Kirsten Cinema, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if he's willing to say that, what's the holdup, Kirsten? Uh, anyway, there were uh, two other comments. I don't have time to play that. We've had a sort of, as, as I said, pushed everything back here. But uh, Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado agreed with Kelly in this uh, private call with supporters. Uh, it, uh, it was obtained by Newsline, by the way. Uh, Bennett said the country cannot afford another period of obstruction, like the period of obstruction that Mitch McConnell led when Barack Obama was president. Uh, Senator Kathleen, Catherine uh, Cortez Mastro from Nevada said that uh, she revealed that Senate Democrats are now, in fact, discussing how they might reform the filibuster uh, to pass the For the People Act, saying the question will be what the, that reform will look like uh, at the end of the day. She says, uh, is the final outcome a majority vote? Well, we can only hope so. Uh, so, as I said, shuffling things around here, but I want to add one more thing before I get to a break here. Uh, Walter Schaub, who's, who served as the head of the Office of Government Ethics, uh, first under Barack Obama and then until he resigned under Donald Trump, he tweeted, I think it was on Tuesday night, just after the Republicans had blocked debate on voting rights in the U.S. Senate with the filibuster. Schaub uh, tweeted, if you're alive today... You're part of the generation that either saves democracy or witnesses the death of the republic. The future, he said, has not been written. Now, that sounds pretty dramatic, but I got to say, I do not believe that is an overstatement. That is just one of the reasons why we have for so long spent so much time on this issue, on this program and at Bradblog.com trying to save democracy. And doing so, by the way, long before I believe many, if not most, understood how endangered, in fact, it was. Thanks to a, a, a post-policy Republican Party that is now only interested in gaining and holding power. They are not interested in policy or governing at this point beyond holding on to power for the sake of holding on to power and sharing the prizes that come with that power with themselves and with their wealthy donors who make it all possible for them. But this is why uh, we will continue to cover this very critical effort by Democrats in Congress to make democracy work, to be able to pass legislation, to reform our election system, to get dark money out of campaigns, to ensure automatic voter registration for all, to end partisan gerrymandering, and much more. 
that is uh, long overdue. Much of it is in the For the People Act, but long overdue and all needed to even have a chance at saving American democracy. I don't believe anything that we cover here, save for climate change, is of such importance. And yes, of course, if we can't save democracy here in the U.S., what chance is there to save the planet from our climate emergency, really? Well, take a break here because the good guys, the truth tellers, as opposed to the liars who are lying every way that they can in hopes of continuing the great grift to stay in power and the fast drift toward autocracy. Well, the good guys, uh, the truth tellers anyway, have won a round or two over the past 24 hours. So we will pick it up there. Some of those stories are next on the broadcast. As much as Rudy Giuliani may not like it. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, Rudy. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. There you go. Welcome back uh, to the Bradcast. So, uh, yeah, it was... Not long ago that Donald Trump was sort of haranguing the state of Michigan to uh, to to investigate what went on in their 2020 election. That investigation has now happened. I will get there in a moment. And it's kind of amazing. But uh, before that, even I told you one breaking story after another, a New York appeals court on Thursday suspended. Rudy Giuliani from practicing law in New York because he made false statements while trying to get courts to overturn Donald Trump's loss in the presidential race. An attorney disciplinary committee had asked the court to suspend Giuliani's license on the grounds that he violated professional conduct rules as he promoted theories that the election was stolen through fraud. Thank you. What took you so long? And as I recall, wasn't this one of the points that we spoke with the John Boniface about uh, some yes. uh, weeks ago yeah, for, that with they the, were... for the spe- uh, 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 free speech for people? Yes. That they were calling for these some of these attorneys to be disbarred, and to sanctioned. be suspended. Yeah, sanctioned. Well, that appears to have begun. The court agreed on Thursday and said the suspension would be immediate even though disciplinary proceedings are not yet complete because they said there was, quote, an immediate threat to the public if Rudy's license was not suspended. Wow. Yeah. The disgraced Giuliani represented the disgraced former president. He was a key player in spreading these unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud and promoting the idea that the election was stolen from the former president. The uh, New York Attorney's Disciplinary Committee found, according to their report, quote, there is 
uncontroverted evidence that Giuliani communicated demonstrably false and misleading statements to the court, lawmakers, and the public at large in his capacity as lawyer for former President Donald J. Trump and the Trump campaign in connection with Trump's failed effort at re-election in 2020, unquote. And they concluded that his conduct, quote, immediately threatens the public interest and warrants interim suspension from the practice of law. The committee went on to reject all of Giuliani's defenses, finding that his commitment to spreading falsehoods often offered in his capacity as attorney uh, is particularly damaging to the public's trust in government and, quote, tarnishes the reputation of the entire legal profession and its mandate to act as a trusted and essential part of the machinery of justice. Now, there are a lot of dirty lawyers out there. (laughs) For them to uh, come after Rudy like this and suspend them, I mean, you know, what do you got to do? There's a lot of bad lawyers. How bad do you got to be to face something like this? Well, now we know how low that bar is. Apparently so. Uh, In response to the commission, uh, the court, wrote, uh, agreeing to their uh, request, the seriousness of respondents' uncontroverted misconduct cannot be overstated. They noted, this country is being torn apart by continued attacks on the legitimacy of the 2020 election and of our current president, Joseph R. Biden. Now, uh, Rudy's attorneys vowed to challenge the suspension, uh, which is not yet a disbarment, but it could be soon. We believe that once the issues are fully explored at a hearing, Mr. Giuliani will be reinstated as a valued member of the legal profession that he has served so well in his many capacities for so many years, said uh, Giuliani's attorneys here. But George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband. Remember Kellyanne? Haven't seen her lately, have we? Uh, So her husband, he's a longtime Republican attorney and a longtime Trump critic. He tweeted in response to all of this, given the opinion, it is hard to imagine that Rudy won't be disbarred after a full hearing. It's now almost inconceivable that he will ever set foot in a courtroom again as anything other than a defendant. Yeah. Hmm. The uh, the ruling was signed on Thursday. It prevents Giuliani from representing clients as a lawyer. He claims the investigation violates his First Amendment rights to free speech to, <laughs> I guess, say whatever he wants uh, and that he did not knowingly make false statements. But uh, interim suspensions are often a precursor, precursor, in fact, to disbarment. Uh, but they're typically, quote, reserved for lawyers convicted of a crime said Bruce Green, a former federal prosecutor who directs the Lewis Stein Center for Law and Ethics at Fordham University. Uh, He says it's rarely done in cases involving lying lawyers. Well, uh, we will see. Uh, It was done here, and whether uh, Giuliani becomes a lawyer convicted of a crime, that could also happen in the days ahead. Maybe it depends on the extent, scope, and breadth of the lying that is being done. Well, and we we have some evidence of that now, and that scope and breadth is pretty amazing. Yeah. He's uh, Giuliani, for one, could face consequences in Georgia. He made statements to a legislative uh, committee, state legislative committees there, casting doubt on the legitimacy of that state's election. Those are cited in the New York court decision. 
Uh, and it has led to Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fonnie Willis uh, opening a criminal investigation into potential attempts to influence the results in Georgia. Uh, she is said to be looking into the making of false statements to state and local governmental bodies, which would be a crime in Georgia. The Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, a Republican, he's come under attack from Donald Trump. And yes, from us on this show, but that's a separate, a different issue for another day. Uh, anyway, he has come under attack by Trump for failing to overturn the election for no reason whatsoever. Uh, Raffensperger sees vindication in the New York court decision on Thursday. He said the judges recognized that the baseless conspiracy theories Giuliani repeated were not true and punished him for spreading lies, particularly about Georgia's election. Of course, you'll remember that Giuliani's roadshow after November uh, went from state to state, holding panels with these state GOP lawmakers offering one evidence-free claim after another that the election was stolen. For him now to say he, well, they might have been untrue, but he had no idea, is ridiculous because as he was going from state to state with his dog and pony show, his lies were being uh, responded to one after another by fact checkers, by everyone else. So Georgia was one state where he went. So was the state of Michigan, where Republicans uh, who seemed open to Giuliani's lies about the election on Wednesday night. Boy, did they put out a scathing report, a scathing 35 page report rebutting. All of Giuliani's lies, all of them, his and everyone else's. As I mentioned, uh, just last month, Trump had targeted Michigan Senate Republicans for not doing enough to substantiate his uh, baseless fraud claims in the state, uh, tweeting or no, he doesn't tweet anymore. He uh, put out a statement. Has the Michigan State Senate started their review of the fraudulent presidential election of 2020 yet? Or are they about to start? If not, they should be run out of office. Well, not only did they start, they started eight months ago, uh, Mr. Ex-President. They were not run out of office, but you were. You better get used to that. They put out their report, this highly anticipated scathing report on Wednesday night. Uh, this is the Republican-led Michigan State Senate Oversight Committee. They rebutted, they eviscerated former President Donald Trump's and Rudy Giuliani's and pillow guy Mike Lindell uh, and Jovan Pulitzer and Sidney Powell. Powell and all of these other liars, pretty much everyone and anyone who has put forward any of these evidence-free claims about fraud by voters or voting machine companies or anyone else, debunking allegations of malfeasance in Michigan's election last fall and affirming that Joe Biden was, in fact, victorious. And again, this is Republicans in the Michigan State Senate who did this report. It's a it's a scathing 35 page report calling out and debunking one lie after another. It's uh, the, the product of an eight eight month inquiry. And uh, State Senator Ed McBroom, the Republican chair of the committee that investigated the election, uh, said in a statement accompanying the report, as is often the case, the truth is not as attractive or as immediately desirable as the lies and the lies contain elements of truth. Adding, we must all remember extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof 
and claiming to find something extraordinary requires first eliminating the ordinary. And that's what the report does. It goes about uh, finding the ordinary explanations for all of the concerns, all of the claims that uh, Rudy Giuliani and the rest have been putting forward for months. The report was supported by every single Republican on that state committee. And it was clear, quote, this committee found no evidence of widespread or systematic fraud in Michigan's prosecution of the 2020 election, where Joe Biden uh, won the state by 154,000 votes. That's a three percentage point victory over Trump. The report singled out the false claims of fraud, for example, in Antrim County, the small county in the northern part of the state where a human error uh, by election officials initially led uh, to results showing that Joe Biden had won this very Republican-leaning county. But it was quickly discovered and corrected and the certified results followed a full hand count of the hand marked paper ballots in Antrim County, as we called for on that night when this error occurred. Uh, there was a, a, a sort of a mismatch in the databases, in the computer databases that were used to uh, uh, to tally these uh, numbers. And they found the problem. They fixed the problem. And at the time, I said, yeah, this is a problem. And there's going to be no way to get any confidence in these results unless you do a full hand count of Antrim County. Well, they did. And uh, they came to, uh, you know, the, the results were exactly what they thought they were until they had put them into the, the error-prone computers. So we know the numbers are accurate in Antrim County. And yet Republicans have been claiming that whatever went wrong there uh, revealed how everything was gamed across the entire state uh, of of uh, of Michigan. And uh, one of the I love one of the lines in this report from uh, from the Michigan Republicans uh, concerning Antrim says, uh, this pronouncement is simply more blatherskite. <laughs> blatherskite. They spared no one in this. The, com the committee recommends uh, the Attorney General of Michigan consider investigating those who have been utilizing misleading and false information about Antrim County to raise money or publicity for their own ends. They're calling for a criminal investigation here of the con artists and grifters who have been out there duping people duping these uh, the MAGA mob uh, to send money so we can uh, stop the steal. The committee said the many hours of testimony before the committee showed these claims are unjustified and unfair to the people of Antrim County and the state of Michigan. The report examined point by point other theories of election fraud that have been promoted by Trump and his supporters, including votes by dead people. The report said that these claims were all researched and the committee concluded that most were false. There were two claims of deceased individuals casting votes that were found to be true. One was a clerical error and the other was a timing issue. The deceased individual who voted, a 92-year-old woman, had voted early. And then she died four days before the election. So, yeah, there were deceased people, I guess, voting in Michigan. But hers was a totally legal vote. Correct. The committee concluded that none of these constituted fraudulent election activities or manipulation. 
The committee also found no evidence, quote, indicating that hundreds of thousands of absentee voter ballots were mailed to Michigan voters without previously being requested. That was one of the claims. Also, uh, claims of a late night uh, of a late night multiple ballot dumps in Detroit. The basis of one claim was a video showing a local news photographer actually hauling equipment, not ballots. Uh, so there was no evidence of a late night dump. Uh, the unloading of absentee ballots from a van around 3.30 a.m. after Election Day. Uh, yeah, that did occur, but it turns out those were actually ballots that were not fraudulent. Had they been fraudulent, then uh, the, there would have been evidence of irregular turnout. But there was no such evidence, according to this inquiry, by Republicans in the Michigan State Senate who found they were not irregular in any way. Additionally, the report stated the data suggests there was no anomalous numbers of uh, votes that were cast for Joe Biden either in Wayne County, that's Detroit, or statewide. The report stated that demands to decertify the vote over claims regarding the chain of custody of ballots and related materials are, quote, incredibly misleading, demeaning, and irresponsible. So uh, maybe we will uh, have some more time uh, for this report in the days ahead, because it is kind of remarkable, particularly coming from Republicans. And despite the fact that it's Republicans uh, finding zero credibility for any of the claims made by Rudy Giuliani or Donald Trump or anybody else, at least about what happened in Michigan. Despite that, those same Republican lawmakers are still trying to pass new voting restrictions in the state of Michigan. Thankfully, yes, yeah. because of course, because of course, thankfully, they have a uh, Democratic uh, governor now in Michigan who can hopefully veto such attempts at voter suppression, reminding us once again why elections matter and um, why this fight for voting rights and the truth must continue. And we will continue it. All right. So, as I say, maybe more on that report in the days ahead. But for now, another break. And it's the Green News Report with Desi Doyen. That's next on the broadcast. Oh, boy. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States. But they don't control us. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Huh? All right. Welcome back. Uh, it is so some good news there, uh, at least, I think, Desi Doyen, that we're beginning to see there's beginning to be some accountability. A little bit. A yeah. little bit for guys like uh, Giuliani and, you know, with Republicans coming out and saying, no, these claims are bunk. And believe me, I have looked into all of them. So I was delighted to see in this report. Uh, that they did the same in one case after another. Some good news there. 
Unfortunately, some less good news in our latest Green News report. The threat is salt water creeping in from the ocean further into the delta, now threatening to contaminate fresh water supplies for central and southern California. Worsening drought conditions threaten drinking water supplies in California. Alarming heat wave hits the Siberian Arctic. Plus, grim UN draft report warns climate change tipping points are upon us and the worst is yet to come. All of that grim news... As usual, straight ahead from Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We have spent the last two decades in perpetual drought here, yet almond farmers in California have doubled in that time. Despite the fact that almond production alone uses more water than all the humans and businesses in San Francisco and Los Angeles combined. That wasn't a problem back when it rained. But now there simply isn't enough water to go around and we have to make a painful choice. Getting it to the people or getting it in the nuts. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a big chunk of the U.S. over the past week or so has been in a terrible heat wave. But we should note, it is not just affecting the U.S. No, it is not. As we go to air, climate scientists are expressing alarm at shockingly high temperatures broiling the Arctic. An intense and expansive heat wave has gripped parts of Siberia, northwestern Russia, and Scandinavia. Ground surface temperatures across Siberia this week shot up above 90 degrees Fahrenheit and spiked as high as 118 degrees in some areas. 90 and 100 degrees in in the Siberian Arctic. 118 degrees wow. in Siberia, rivaling wow. Las Vegas during this most recent heat wave. Wow. And it's not over. The National Weather Service is forecasting, quote, a new record-breaking and dangerous heat wave for the Pacific Northwest, a region where there isn't widespread air conditioning. Mm. But there's also a chance that smoke from wildfires sparked by the extreme heat conditions could help by dimming some of the sun's heat. So... Yay? (laughs) Yeah, we're being saved by wildfires, really? Mm. A new study confirms that, yes, man-made climate change is intensifying these extreme record-breaking heat waves in the U.S. Who could have guessed it? A Lawrence Berkeley National Lab analysis has concluded that man-made global warming has caused these rare heat events to be 3 to 5 degrees Fahrenheit hotter in most of the United States. New consequences are unfolding from the climate change intensified mega drought emerging in the West. In eastern Arizona, water levels in Lake San Carlos have fallen so low that fire crews can't use it to fight fires. In Sacramento, California, cutbacks in water releases from the state's reservoirs have severely reduced river flows, which in turn is allowing salt water from the ocean to intrude inland, threatening to contaminate fresh water supplies. State water officials have hastily begun building an emergency barrier across a major waterway in the Sacramento River Delta to stop the saltwater creep, according to Ryan Reeves of the California Department of Water Resources in an interview with KCRA. The emergency drop barrier is, is not one we take on lightly. I mean, it does include the word emergency in it. We consider it to be an emergency action. 
you know, we would not be doing this project if, um, you know, if it wasn't serious. Meanwhile, a new draft report from the U.N.'s Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change highlights that adaptation efforts are not moving fast enough. The massive draft report obtained by Agence France Presse and due out in 2022 is grim. It warns that the planet is rapidly approaching tipping points that could set off feedback loops that further amplify global warming, saying, quote, the worst is yet to come. Some serious climate impacts are already baked in and will hit sooner than previously projected, fundamentally reshaping life on Earth in coming decades. And that's even if nations are able to cut the greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous man-made climate change. You are grim today, Desi Doyen. It includes water shortages and crop failures, deadly heat waves, ecosystem collapse, species extinction, and rising seas inundating coastal communities. The IPCC draft report also starkly warns that efforts to adapt and prepare for climate impacts are too slow. Quote, current levels of adaptation will be inadequate to respond to future climate risks. Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg, in an interview with AFP, found a ray of qualified hope. It seems that many people are becoming more and more ready to tell it like it is. And we can, of course, not face this crisis unless we tell it like it is, unless we are adult enough to tell the truth. This could be something that could lead to something that could wake people up, which is very hopeful. What does it say when we have to turn to Greta Thunberg for good news to cheer us up? Good Lord. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Just play it cool, boy. Real cool. <sighs> yeah. Yep, try to stay cool, everybody. Yeah, it's going to be a long, hot summer, I'm afraid. If it's this hot, this early. Yeah. Boy. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to uh, all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's show, whether it made sense or not, I can't <laughs> tell you. But if you want to go back and check if it did, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Our uh, ability to make that available for free and to stay on the air at all is all thanks to you, at least those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate can't thank you enough for that drop me email if you like i'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebooks and the twitters you'll find me simply at the brad blog i will see you there until we see you here next time i'm brad friedman stay cool world